in our world, I think as long as Christians are kind of confined within the, the box of the house of God that they worship at and the church that they're in, the world pretty much doesn't have too much struggles, not much regard toward us. As long as we're doing what we're doing and keep it in the box, but as soon as we step outside, there might be letters, there might be lawyers, there might be conflicts that come our way. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. The title itself comes from verse 7. In verse 6, it completes the sentence, You therefore have received from Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The title of the message, Rooted, Built Up, and Established, and it's the desire today that we would just kind of think about that, the establishing of our faith for us today, a group of believers, that we would take the faith that we have received through acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life, and to then take that and to build upon that faith that we might be rooted, built up, and established in our faith. That's the encouragement that we should have today, that we should be rooted, built up, and established until we come to that place where it we finish the race. Paul, in the midst of trials, even before he was imprisoned, he went through many trials. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's receiving comfort from God. He's in a place that he'd rather not be. He prays and asks for people to pray for his deliverance. He even references uh, his being able to be released, to go see the believers that he's writing to. But in the midst of all that, he says, hey, I want to give you some words of comfort. I want to give you some encouragement. So we're going to look at these in verses 1 through 10 in Colossians chapter 2 today. And I broke it apart in this way, that we should be rooted and built up and established, uh, number one, verses one through three, to be encouraged and knit together, 
Number two, verses four through six, that good order and steadfastness. And number three, the world versus Christ, verses eight through 10. In verse five, it says, though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ Jesus. And so he has these encouraging words of the spirit. And he says, though I'm absent from you physically, remember Paul had never personally met any of these individuals. And maybe some had come down from Corinth. Obviously, he mentions a few by name who would deliver these letters. Epaphras is one of them, would deliver the letter for him. Onesimus was from Colossae. But he's writing to people, the majority of the people that he had never physically met, yet He's able to minister to them spiritually through the Spirit of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God was moving upon Paul's heart that he would pin these words to the believers of Colossae and Laodicea. And Peter explains it this way in 2 Peter 1.21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, though I'm absent in the flesh, I'm with you in the Spirit. I'm being moved by the Holy Spirit to give you these good words. And I want to rejoice to see your good order, your steadfastness. The Greek word for good order is a military term. It speaks about the ranks that would be in the military or maybe the divisions and ranks that are we're in the priesthood, if we're referring back to the biblical days. And the steadfastness, again, another military term that speaks about the firm position, the inner strength that one might have, that they're soldiers who are ready to go to war, ready to go to battle, that they're steadfast, that they're standing fast. And so Paul, in this good order and steadfastness, he warns them of deceiving words of the flesh. He is, encourages them concerning the words of the Spirit. And then he further encourages them to walk in the truth of God's word. And in verse 6, he says, So walk in him. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How hard is that to understand? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ today? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, then walk in Christ Jesus. Now, this theme of being in Christ is going to drift into next week's teaching as well. And it was very hard for me to break this chapter apart because it flows so well. I don't think verse 10 is the best cutoff, but it's the cutoff that I chose to take for us because we find on both sides of verse 10 here in verse 6, it speaks about walking in him. In verse 11, it begins with in him, you are also circumcised. So it's about being in Christ Jesus. And there's this thought, and we'll look at it again next week as we get into the text further. But he encourages those who have been joined with or received Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life then to walk in him. To receive means to associate with, to join together. So they're part of the body of Christ. As Paul said in chapter 1, he's the head, we're the body. So walk in him. Uh, to walk means to tread all around. It speaks about the way we conduct ourselves in this life, to tread all around. Sometimes, I don't know why I had this thought, I, I saw a shot on a movie or TV show yesterday at a beach, and there was just footprints everywhere, and so I had this vision 
not a vision, but just this image of that scene. And, and my thought was, how many times did they make this shoot? You know, is this like the hundredth shot that they made? There's all these footprints that are in advance of the first time. Have you ever seen that in the movie? It's supposed to be the first time they've ever went down that road or that path, and there's already the skid marks of the car that they're doing the same move and action. Let's take two this time, or take three, and it's just... You see that. But the idea of it is to mark it up, to tread all around, to walk in such a way. It's your way of life. It's the way we conduct ourselves in life. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. We're to walk in this fashion. We're to walk in him. If we're a believer in Jesus Christ, so walk in him. And we're to have lives worthy of the salvation that has been given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And we're also not only to walk in the truth of God's word, to walk in Jesus, but to be rooted, built up, and established. And this is the one that really got my gears kind of going, thinking about this message this week. Because in verse 7, it says, being rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And I fear that the majority of believers today, once they have established their foundation through faith in Jesus Christ, instead of being rooted and built up and then further established in their faith, they become complacent. And it caused me to think about uh, the Jews who first came out of Babylon, about 50,000 of them first came out of Babylon. Their purpose to come to Jerusalem after the captivity was to repopulate the land of Jerusalem, but to specifically, and they were given permission to rebuild the temple of God. But the Jews themselves, by the time Haggai came on the scene some 16 years later, the Jews were saying in Haggai 1-2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. The people were saying, hey, it's not time to build a temple. Now's not the time. You know, yeah, that would be great. We'd love to see a temple, but obviously now is not the time. And when they first came back, they came back and they first rebuilt the altar of the Lord, realized that they were worshiping God. They had the altar, but it would be like perhaps today uh, us coming to the property of Calvary Chapel and all we ever did was lay the foundation and we have some cheers out on the foundation and a pulpit and we can come and worship, but there's no roof over our head. If it rains like it did yesterday, we would have been in trouble. And they had a place where they could worship the Lord and suddenly they became satisfied. They became satisfied because conflict came their way. When they first laid the foundation of the Lord, it tells us in Ezekiel 3.11, that all the people shouted with a great shout. They praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. However, when they began to build upon that foundation, the Samaritans specifically named for us, they brought conflict toward them. They hired lawyers. They wrote letters. And all the days of King Cyrus, until the days of Darius, the king of Persian, construction was stopped. But what were the people doing while construction of the temple of God's house was stopped. But they were saying, now's not the time that the Lord's house should be built. And yet 
God asked through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you to yourselves to dwell in panel houses and this temple lie in ruins? And that's Haggai 1.4. They were building their homes. In fact, the Samaritans had no problem for them getting involved in the society and, and building homes. I mean, it was good for the economy. They were selling their wares. They were doing all the things that in our world, I think, as long as Christians are kind of confined within the, the box of the house of God that they worship at and the church that they're in, the world pretty much doesn't have too much struggles, not much regard toward us. As long as we're doing what we're doing and keep it in the box, but as soon as we step outside, there might be letters, there might be lawyers, there might be conflicts that come our way. And yet, what happened with the Jews who came back from Babylon, look, the majority of these people, if they had seen Jerusalem, it was when they were little kids. They spent 70 years in captivity. So if they had seen the city at all, those who remembered it, and we read about that in Ezra as they rebuilt and laid the foundation, that there was also great tears. Some were shouting for joy. Some were crying because the temple was not the greatness that Solomon's temple was. They had seen the greatness of that, but they were very old, those who had seen that. But the majority of them were just people who had never seen the city itself, but they had this great desire. They had a good intent, a great desire, but they got caught up in the things of the world for 16 years. They were building their own houses while the house of the Lord was sitting in ruins. And I think sometimes we neglect in the same way. We lay the foundation of faith through Jesus Christ and we neglect to continue on that we might be rooted and built up to be established in our faith, to grow in our faith. To be rooted is a term from agriculture that refers to a plant or a tree. We know what that means. And you want to make sure if you're going to plant a tree or a plant, that you want to make sure that its roots get firmly established. But the building up is that of a, a term from architecture that talks about building up a building. The, the foundation is laid. I've built a lot of buildings, so I've seen a lot of foundations. But I was recalling over, I don't know if it was in Dundee somewhere, but Motorola back in the day when they were pretty large and the BlackBerry was like the phone everybody had to have. I was working on a building where they had laid a foundation that they never built upon. I think they ended up building in Libertyville and out, out west of us instead. But there was this building that could have supported a five-story building on the property. The foundation was laid. It was something to look at because it was a huge foundation. In a sense, we'd say the basement was finished. All the concrete had been poured and laid just years later to be ripped up again and covered over. Well, we know that our culture, we tend to waste a lot of things these days. And instead of remodeling buildings, now they just tear them down and build new ones like they want. And we've seen that a lot over the last few years. But I think our life is like that. We lay the foundation, but we never build up. We never get rooted down. We never get built up in our faith. Thus, the combination of being rooted and built up, this establishing of our faith, it means that we are receiving more of an inner strength in your faith, becoming stronger in our faith. 
Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it's to be filled with all the fullness of God. It has to do with being rooted and built up, or as he said in Ephesians, to be rooted and grounded in love. Hi, this is Pastor John, and once again, I find myself in an empty sanctuary, but around this time, while I was teaching through the epistle of Colossians, our lapel microphone was failing, and we did not know that we lost the end of the recording, so I'm going to pick up where I left off. I got my notes from that day, and I'm just going to go ahead and pick up where I left off. Good order and steadfastness. Paul warns all believers against the deceiving words of the flesh while encouraging them in the spirit that he might rejoice to see their good order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. To walk in him, we must first learn to walk with him, which is accomplished by our building upon the foundation of faith, by being rooted and built up in our faith, which will result in our being firmly established in our faith. And finally, the world versus Christ. First, verse 8, philosophies and empty deceit. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. That Greek word for cheat means to lead away uh, as in spoils of war, to be taken captive. They cheat you. False teachers, they gain disciples through their philosophy, their empty deceit, teaching the traditions of men according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to the things of Christ. This Greek word for philosophy is only found here in the New Testament and it refers to the love or pursuit of human wisdom or knowledge. But Paul calls it empty. It's hollow. It's without truth. It's a delusion, a deception, an enticement. Here's another way to read Colossians 2.8. Lest anyone make you captive by means of human understanding or worthless deceit or by means of worthless deceit of human understanding. Philosophies and traditions aren't necessarily bad, but they become great dangers when the philosophies and traditions of human wisdom supersedes or nullifies the word of God. The philosophies and traditions that Paul warned the Colossians about were introduced under the guise of religion that they might obtain a deeper knowledge or a deeper relationship with God. And to this day, philosophies and traditions, although they may be greatly popular, they will threaten the health of our churches if they supersede or nullify God's word. And finally, verses 9 and 10, fullness and head of all. For in him dwells, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, 
who is the head of all principality and power. Jesus created all. All was created through him, for him, and in him. All things consist. He is complete in every way, nothing lacking. Colossians 1.17 tells us, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. That Greek word for fullness, a word that means repletion or completion, it's the condition of being overfull after eating too much. And thus Paul is stressing the completeness of Jesus' being. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, nothing lacking. That cannot be said of us. We are lacking in many different ways, but mostly, apart from Christ, we lack in a relationship with the Godhead who has given us life. Yet through Jesus, we also will be filled, not just with the blessings of God, but the very Spirit of God. Jesus fills us. He completes us. John 17, 22 and 23 says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and have loved them as you have loved me. It is Jesus who is head over all principalities and powers. It doesn't matter what place or position that any of us might have in this life, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, Christ is over all. If Jesus is over all things, then he is also over you and me. Therefore, we are to walk in him. The world versus Christ, well, philosophies, empty deceit, tradition, although they may be greatly popular, they threaten our spiritual health if we allow them to supersede or nullify God's word. Therefore, we must keep our eyes fixed upon the originator of all things, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, for he is head of all things, and head over his church. As we close out, just review a bit of this teaching, like the Apostle Paul, John Bunyan, and many others throughout history of faith, God will sometimes have to sit us down in order that he might fulfill his divine purpose in our life. But rest assured, when he does, we will be rooted, built up, and established in our faith. As far as being encouraged and knit together, Paul had a great conflict and desire for all believers that their hearts might be encouraged, that they would be knit together in love, that they would obtain to the riches and the full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God. In regards to good order and steadfastness, well, Paul warns all believers against the deceiving words of the flesh while encouraging them in the spirit that he might rejoice to see 
their good order, and their steadfastness of faith in Jesus Christ. To walk in him, we must first learn to walk with him, which is accomplished by our building upon the foundation of faith, by being rooted and built up in our faith, which will result in our being established in faith. And finally, the world versus Christ. Well, philosophies, empty deceit, traditions, although they may be greatly popular in this world, they threaten our spiritual health if they supersede or nullify the word of God. Therefore, we must keep our eyes fixed upon the originator of all things, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, for he is head of all things and head over his church. He's head over you and over me. And Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless the teaching of your word to our souls. And Lord, may we walk in such a way that you are head over us and that we would willingly surrender ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.